0: good afternoon. So, I have a friend, I know, I know, who I'm now going to insult. (laughs) I have a friend, on the outside he looks completely normal, but he's got this weird streak, he loves maths. I did, warn, I did warn him I was going to say this. He's here today. Simon, I mean, he looks normal, doesn't he? But he lo- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to have a friend called Simon, who I insulted in front of everybody. I need to find a new friend. Actually, after, after this, no one's going to be my friend, are they? Sorry, Simon but I couldn't resist. But today, you see, we're going to look at an equation. And the equation's going to come up here now. There you go. A dodgy maths lesson. That is what we're looking at today. 5 plus 2 plus x equals 5,000. That is what we're going to out with a remainder of 12. I know. I know. Now, there is an argument in our house as to whether it should be multiplied by x or plus x, but I'm saying plus x because you add x into the mix. But we'll come to that later, and I'll show you why I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making any friends, am I, at the moment? (laughs) Sorry. So this is, I'll move on, this is the next in our instalment of our series in the book of John. Looking at the seven signs, what are called the seven signs through the book of John. And these signs, these miracles, reveal Jesus to us, his heart, who he is, which is why we've called the series, Simply Jesus, because that's what this is about. So, today we're looking at John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. If you want to look that up, I haven't put it on here because it was too difficult to squeeze onto one slide, and I was running out of time. So... You can either listen to me or you can look it up yourself. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. If you have been in or near a church at any point over your life, you will know this story, I am sure. This is the story commonly known as the feeding of the 5,000. So let me read it to you. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all these people can eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would already do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Can I just, um, can just pass me my water? So, a familiar story, a familiar event. I, you, we use the word story and I sometimes think that has the implication of it being something made up to illustrate. It's not. This is an event, a true happening. So, If you have read anything in the Bible before, I'm sure you've read this. It appears in all four of the Gospels. And if you notice, when it says 5,000, it talks about 5,000 men. That's the way they counted things then. So there were probably a lot more. They reckon there may well have been anything up to or over 10,000 people. 10,000 people. Just stop and think about that for a minute. Even if there's 5,000, it's incredible, but five to 10,000 people, it is a vast crowd. We need to get an idea of the scale of this to fully appreciate what was going on. So, a picture. This is the inside of the Royal Albert Hall. The Royal Albert Hall seats 5,500 people. You're starting to get an understanding of what this miracle is that Jesus has done. That could well have been filled twice over by the number of people that were following and sitting around Jesus that he fed from five loaves and two fish. It's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. It's vast. All sitting in the open. It's lovely having my grandson here. So. They followed Jesus. There are thousands upon thousands of them. He must have had an amazing speaking voice. Uh, I mean, there are just all sorts of implications from the vastness of this. But the first thing we see is that Jesus thinks about those around him. the, The needs of the crowd, their physical needs. He thinks about it and he says to Philip, where can we buy bread for all these people? Now, Jesus is setting up a lesson here in thinking differently. Because before Philip replies, this is an incredible statement that says, he said this, he said this to Philip, for he himself, to, to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew all along that this was going to happen. And he knew what he was going to do about it. This is not something that was unplanned. This is not an off-the-cuff miracle because Jesus was slightly panicked because things had all gone wrong. He knew what was going to happen. He planned it. And there's a real lesson for us here. Miracles don't just happen because God needs to get himself out of a tight spot. Miracles happen for a reason. They're planned. God knows he's going to do it. It's not just something that goes, ah, I'm stuck, here's a quick miracle. This was all planned. There was nothing going wrong here. This was all going to plan. I used to watch, many years ago, I don't think they have this round anymore, a a, a TV show called Question of Sport. And they used to have my favourite round was what happened next. And they'd play this video and they'd pause it just at the right moment. And the teams had got to guess what was coming next. It was usually something going wrong. It was usually something funny. But in this case, Jesus knew what was happening next. He planned what was happening next. It was all under control. So, knowing what he was going to do, he asked Philip the question, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? And so what does Philip do? Philip goes into what I call normal human mode. This is the mode of operating, the normal mode of operating and behavior that we all default to. The easy way of thinking. And Philip's response is this is going to cost a fortune. His reply to Jesus isn't, well there's a shop here or a market stall there. He doesn't actually answer the question. He says, how are we going to find the money for that? And even if we found 200 denarii there still wouldn't be enough for people to eat. Normal human mode, a human level of thinking. He's dealing with Jesus here. He's dealing with him. And he's been with him for ages and he's seen these miracles, but straight away he goes, "Ugh, we're stuck, it's all going wrong. But as we've seen in previous weeks in this series, normal thinking rules don't apply. They really don't apply. Mark Batterson in his book Grave Robber says this, we don't experience the world as it is, we experience it as we are. Good that, isn't it? We don't experience the world as it is; we experience it as we are. Philip was responding to Jesus as he was, not how the world was with Jesus. Our response to situations that we are in shows how we are. Our response to difficult or impossible situations, like 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 Philip's response it's what we do, isn't it? We default to this normal human mode of thinking. Whereas actually what Philip should have been saying was, wow, let's think, we're in this situation, Jesus has brought up the topic of how we're going to feed them, I've seen all these miracles, we're in for a show. But it's not what he does, is it? But actually, when we're presented with these situations, our response should be, okay, God, How are you going to display your glory now? How is your thinking this afternoon about the situations you are in and you are facing? The things that you're going into this week, whether they're good or bad. Are we in a normal human mode of thinking? Or are we thinking like the new creation that we are? Are we thinking like sons and daughters of the Most High King who can break in at any moment? He wants to break in, you know. God wants to break in and display his glory. He wants to. Does your thinking need to change today because of who you are in Christ? Because of who he has made you? Do you need to approach things with a different mindset that say, actually, here's an opportunity for God to act, rather than, oh no, what are we going to do? Which, incidentally, is often my normal way of thinking. It is somewhat comforting to know that even one of the disciples who'd been around Jesus and seen these miracles firsthand responded like he did. Kind of gives me a bit of hope that, you know, one day we'll get it right. with God, it really is a case of anything is possible, anything at all. So what does happen next? What does happen next? Well, we know that Jesus is setting this up to reveal his glory and teach us amazing things about the kingdom, which we'll get to. But before we we do that, we start to see almost a glimmer of understanding as to what Jesus could possibly do because one of the other disciples Andrew gets involved and at some point he finds out that there's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Now remember how many people there are and yet he finds this boy I mean, how on earth did that happen? Was he nearby and overheard them discussing the lack of food? And said, well, I've got some. I mean, this is is a miracle in and of itself, that there was a boy there with food that was spotted by the disciples in this crowd of up to 10,000 people. Amazing. Amazing. There are just miracles all over the place in this that we often overlook. But anyway he has offered to contribute his lunch. Isn't that sweet? Misguided but sweet. I mean, just during the worship, Noah had a little packet of crisps. I didn't get one. (laughs) Neither did any of you. It's just a small amount. But we can see God is moving the pieces into place, ready for a display of his glory. One thing I've never heard anybody speaking on this or talking about this has ever mentioned was, why did this boy, I mean, it's not a lot of food, is it, for 10,000, but five loaves and two fish for one boy, that's a lot of tuna sandwiches. Unless he's a teenager, then I get it, because they eat a huge amount. But that's actually quite a lot of food for one boy and not, strange, but there you go. Completely irrelevant, but strange. It just, it just popped out into my head when I was looking at this and thought, oh, that's weird. Anyway, he offers his food. Last week, Rob said this, we need to guard against passivity. And here is an, ag- an example. The boy was not passive okay, it's not a lot of food. The disciples must have gone, ah, oh, what a lovely little boy offering his feet you know, that's very kind, but, you know, just, what was he thinking? Maybe he thought other people would join in with him to contribute, I don't know. Maybe the boy had seen Jesus before and seen some miracles, who knows? But Andrew even though it's a strange thing to do, puts him forward and says, well, we do have this. There's that glimmer there of almost, Oh, something could happen here. Now, Andrew does say it's not going to be enough, but at least he makes a step, that small step. But Andrew makes a small step. The boy offers his lunch is food, which is a big step. And you know, when we step towards the purposes of God, he comes rushing in to meet the need. And that's what we see. That's what we see. He can use what we have, however small, however insignificant it seems. This boy has a small amount of food. And what he does is he says, here, take it you can have this. He doesn't say, here are my leftovers. He doesn't say, let me satisfy my needs first and then you can have what's left. He gave all of it and kept nothing back for himself. Here we have a small action that unlocks the miraculous. That boy giving everything, however small, unlocks the whole miracle. Without that boy bringing that and working in partnership with Jesus, this would have never happened. And this is exciting because it's the same now. You have the equivalent of five loaves and two fish. You've got it. You've got the gifts that God has given you. You've got the time that God has given you. You've got the abilities that God has given you. You've got the money that God has given you. And when brought to him, those things will unlock the miraculous. Now that doesn't mean that he can't do it on his own, he can, and he does. But through an incredible privilege, he chooses to use us and to partner with us, or allows us to partner with him, is probably the best way of saying it. We partner with God, the creator of the universe, in the miraculous and the supernatural we do who are we that we can do that well actually we're chosen by god to do that with him you see while he set this miracle up he's setting other things up for you he's setting things up for you to participate in and this is where we come back to the dodgy maths that i mentioned at the beginning it's not my equation, it's my not my thought again. It's from a book called Grave Robber by Mark Batterson, where he it's a book about these seven signs that go through the, uh, the book of John. And uh, five plus two, obviously the loaves and the fishes, plus adding Jesus into the mix is how I interpret it. That's the plus. I guess because we're talking about Jesus multiplying the food, you could say multiply, maybe, possibly. The loaves and the fishes plus Jesus equals something incredible, something far bigger. That boy brought what he had into the mix into this equation and saw the magnitude of what happened. How must he have felt? How must he have felt? It must have been amazing. But this isn't normal maths. It's not normal economics. This is kingdom economics. This is the way God operates. This is the way God does things. The boy gave up his whole lunch and ended up eating more than if he kept it. you noticed that? Everybody ate enough and was satisfied and there were leftovers. There wouldn't be leftovers if people were still hungry. The boy gave everything away and ended up eating more than if he kept it. What an incredible principle that is for us. There are so many lessons in this. Firstly, don't shy away from bringing what you have. Never, ever discount yourself. Never rule yourself out of the miraculous and the purposes of God. Never. If you don't think you've got much to bring, then look at this story. Because you've got more than five loaves and two fish. And you're not trying to feed 10,000 probably. But what that boy brought probably looked pointless. Could have even been ridiculed. But it wasn't pointless. It was exactly what was needed. You have exactly what you need for what God's got set before you. You have everything you need for whatever you're facing this week. Again, good or bad. God has given you everything you need for you to contribute so he can do the rest. One of the reasons it looks like you haven't got enough is so God can say, rely on me because I am enough. That's why. So don't look at the fact that you think you haven't got enough as a bad thing. It's the right thing. And you do have exactly what God's given you for the situation. Whatever miracle you need right now, or, whatever miracle you know is needed by someone else, God has given you enough to participate. God has given you enough to play your part. You've got enough to heal the sick. You have enough to see demons flee. You have enough to face this week and the week after because God has given you enough to do what you need to do, and He has enough to do what he needs to do. Never, ever count yourself out of what God is lining up and has got planned. Next, God is in the business of multiplication. He takes what we have and multiplies it. He grows it. Many, many years ago uh, when myself and Pam had been married for a very short while We um, heard someone speak on giving, Um, giving money, giving money to God through the church. And um, it was the most releasing talk on giving of your money that I've ever heard. It was amazing. and We'd come from a situation where giving was talked about a lot. um, And uh, you often felt under pressure or guilty if you weren't at least double-diving. And then giving on top of that. And it was actually quite, well to me, and maybe this was just my excuse for not then giving, but it felt pressured. But actually this talk we heard was releasing. It was incredible. And we talked about it and said, yeah, let's give. Because, wow, why wouldn't you after hearing that as that's, that's brilliant? And we gave more money to the church than we'd ever given before. And guess what? We never had any less. It never felt like we got less money. We never went without. And that's been our story over many, many decades. Not once, despite redundancy and other situations, not once have we been left without. That boy's food was multiplied many, many times over. And we've seen that. We've seen that. As we here as Jubilee look for our new building, as we look to buy a building that would cater for what we're doing and all that we want to do with God. We can't afford the kind of building that we want. But do you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring what we have that God has given us, and he's going to multiply it, and he will be glorified. Because, and that is how it's going to work. He has the resource. God has enough. We will play our part. We'll bring what we need to bring. We will bring what God has given us to bring. Because let's face it, we've got the stuff to bring because God's given it us in the first place. We've seen this kind of miracle as a church over and over again in the area of finance. And God will do it again. Because he's in the business of Multiplication. But, remember, in this story, in this event, the boy went all in. There was no half-measure. He held nothing back. That's the nature of the Christian life. That's the nature of the supernatural, that there are no half-measures. I can tell you all the lovely stories, I can get you all excited about what God can do, but I have to tell you, there is a cost. It cost the boy his whole lunch. He didn't know what was going to happen as a result. He gave it away. He may have gone hungry then for hours. He went out on a limb, he took a risk. But look at the outcome, he ended up with far more. Probably blow his mind now that we're talking about him thousands of years later. This is a real boy that we're talking about. There is always risk involved, there's always a cost involved. It's never ever going to look like the safe option, it just doesn't. When God calls us to go for something, it will not look safe it will not look easy. People will misunderstand us. People may ridicule us. There'll be others that we think will be with us, but they're not because it's not quite on their agenda. We'll face backlash. We'll face hard times. Got to be honest about this. It's not the easy path. We have an enemy who prowls around seeking to devour us. It's very real, as many here will testify to. But that shouldn't and doesn't put us off. It shouldn't put us off, because we know how the story ends. This one and all of history. Just to remind you, we win. God's won and he's given us the victory. You know, it's a bit of a spoiler, but it helps, doesn't it, to know that. However hard it gets, God is with you, he's given you enough, and he's got enough for you. And let's face it, Jesus went all in for us after all, didn't he? Jesus didn't, there were no half measures with Jesus. He didn't say the whole dying thing. You know, it's, that's kind of that's hard. It's a bit final. I think we'll just go for a light beating and that should man, that should be all right. He didn't though did he? All in. All in. Everything. It cost him. It cost him and that's why we do the same because we see what he's done for us and we do the same and ultimately we inherit the victory from Jesus because that's what he gives us. Now, this isn't just about multiplying money. It's about our gifts. It's about all sorts of different things. We bring what we have, and Jesus does the miracle. Now, with just a few minutes left, there is another miracle that's happened right here, right now. I've got through all of this, and we're coming towards the end, and I haven't talked about discipleship yet. Amazing! It's a miracle! But I'm going to do it now. (laughs) Got to link it somehow. (laughs) What bigger miracle is there than salvation? What bigger miracle is there for the people in those houses over there to spend their afternoon in here with us instead of sitting in the house doing something utterly pointless? I don't know, who knows what they're doing. But actually, we want them to be worshipping Jesus. That's a massive miracle, salvation. We're born again. We're a new creation. We are completely remade. We need a miracle of multiplication in our communities. We can't save people. Jesus does that. But we bring the small amount that we've got. We bring our testimony. We bring our stories. We bring our friends, and we talk to them. We tell them the stories. They see us for who we are. They see what Jesus has done in our lives. We're bringing our five loaves and two fish at that point. See, that's how we've got to look at this as we meet up with people and we talk to them about Jesus. Yeah, this is my five loaves and two fish. Then we say, Jesus, multiply it. Multiply it, make the change. Save people, make the changes for us. He opens their hearts and He changes them. When you're with your friends, when you're doing things in the community, when you're gathering people who don't know Jesus, Think about this miracle. Think about the multiplication that God is going to do. Because he wants to do it. God wants to see people saved. God wants to see people changed. And he wants you to partner with him. He wants you to bring what you have. Let's start to wrap up. So I've talked for a long time. It's never that long when you practice it. You think, oh, yes, fit that in plenty of time. So here we go. Let's wrap up. Firstly, in all of this, all of this, let's remember that the goal is not the miracle. The goal is God's glory. In all of this, God is glorified. The miracles are great, but they're great because they glorify God. And we all, always must be going to glorify God and for his glory. It's, it's got to be all about that. Okay? So we must remember that. Secondly, this is about us bringing what we have. Might be money. It might be time, gifts, friends. And then we watch God do the miracle and multiply it. He can multiply the money. He can multiply the time you put in. He can multiply the effect of your testimony. God can do a miracle with whatever you have that you bring. And we must remember never to count ourselves out because we don't think we have enough or we're good enough or any of that kind of nonsense. Okay, We've got enough. We've got exactly what God has given us and he knows how much we need. God has prepared you for it. Thirdly, we need to understand the cost involved and count it. Not to put us off doing what God's asked us to do, but we need to be aware of it. Whatever the opposition that comes, we need to remember that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's scripture, so it's true. God will never let you down. In fact, didn't we, did we sing that in one of the songs? Did we sing that to... I forget these songs and the words. but Yeah, we sang that. God will never let you down. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it will go the way you thought it would. But God will make sure that the outcome of anything is the right outcome, however hard it seems at the time. Robert asked a question last week. He said, what do you want this place to be? And one of the answers to that question is that we want it to be a place of abundance. This miracle of multiplication, there was an abundance. There was leftover. I mean, These days we'd go, it's a lot of waste. But actually there was an abundance. And this isn't a mercenary thing that we want to get, 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 get. Actually, we want an abundance of the display of God's glory. We want to bring what we have and see God multiply it over and over and over again as he did in this story. So the goal is God's glory. Bring what you have. Count the cost. And remember, it's time for abundance. So, that is the end of what I've got here. I'm just, I think we need to pray for some people. I think. I'm never sure about this bit. I never think about this till I get to the end and see what happens. I think we need to pray for two sets of people unless, unless anybody thinks there are more than there Firstly we need to pray for those who need a miracle of multiplication. Whatever that means for you. I don't know what that means for you but if I say that and you go yeah that's me great. I think the second group of people we need to pray for And this might be a slightly harder one to admit, I don't know. Those who have counted themselves out because they don't think they've got enough or they don't think they've got what it takes or they don't think they're good enough. I want to see you set free from that because you are good enough. You have got everything you need. Um, And while it's easy to hear it, sometimes being prayed for to get rid of whatever's holding you back is a good thing.